Welcome to the Jeremiah Patterson Show, and thank you for joining me on this Wednesday. On September 11th, 2001, uh, it started off as a nice and sunny day in New York. People were out walking and headed to work, and the nation was just waking up. And for many, that would be their last morning. Buses, cars, bikes, and taxis were transporting people to where they needed to go. But then... You also had people who needed to fly out of state and head off to maybe visit a family member or go on a family vacation or even a business trip. So those were the early morning hours of everybody getting up and getting ready for work and getting ready for school as well as preparing their children for school as well and other essential activities. But then at 8.45 a.m., this event happened. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Bryant Gumble. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. We don't know anything more than that. We don't know if it was a commercial aircraft. We don't know if it was a private aircraft. We have no idea how many were on board or what, is, what the extent of the injuries are right now. We are. Uh, we have. I understand an eyewitness on the phone right now, sir. Sir, good morning. This is Bryant Gumbel. Could you tell it? Could you give us your name? Yeah, my name is Stuart. Stuart, where are you right now? I'm working at a restaurant in Soho. All right. So tell us what you saw, if you would. I literally. I was waiting at a table and I literally saw a. It seemed to be like a small plane. I just heard a couple noises. It looked like it like bounced off the building, and then I heard a. I just saw a huge, like ball of fire on top, and then the smoke seemed to simmer down. And it just, um, you know, a lot of smoke was coming out. And that's pretty much the extent of what I saw. These events in New York were horrifying and astonishing, especially if you witnessed it in person. And even watching it on television was intimidating. But that is what we as a nation witnessed. And while we, are, you know, while we as a nation were watching that horrifying scene take place in New York, the Pentagon got hit. Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness, we're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It would appear that there has been another major explosion, this one in the nation's capital. You are looking at a scene of uh, apparent blast aftermath. There is smoke in the air over the Pentagon. We don't know whether this is the result of a bomb or whether it is yet another aircraft that has targeted a um, symbol of the United States power, but there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Um, this is coming at 9.43 Eastern Time. The president right now is on his way back from Florida. He had gone there for an educational event. In a brief remarks, he said this was an apparent terrorist attack on our country. We do have a couple of reports, one from AP, one from Reuters, reporting that an American Airlines plane was hijacked, that a United Airlines plane was hijacked, supposedly one of those two planes hijacked out of Boston. At this point, the Pentagon, the White House, the Capitol, and the Treasury have been evacuated in uh, Washington. In New York, all airports, tunnels, and bridges have been closed, and in Chicago, the uh, Sears Tower has been evacuated. We understand now there has been a secondary explosion on Tower 2. Just after that reporting broke, um, 
we, we also learned that a reporter who was standing right in front of the World Trade Center, he was standing right in front of the World Trade Center when the South Tower began to collapse. You know, as, the, as that chaotic morning was continuing to transpire and more events were unfolding, and we, the public, were learning more by watching the news, or if you yourself were in New York or just witnessing that horrifying scene, we began to learn more. And we eventually learned that United Airlines Flight 93 went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And the people aboard that flight courageously fought the hijackers and causing the plane to crash there instead of hitting another building and killing an innocent, excuse me, and killing and essentially wounding any other people. When reports came in that the two, when reports came in that an airplane had hit the World Trade Center, President George W. Bush had already been briefed on that. Uh, President George W. Bush was at Emma E. Booker Elementary School that morning, and he was sitting down while a teacher was reading a book to a group of second graders. And then the White House Chief of Staff, Andy Card, came over to the president and whispered 11 terrifying words in his ear. Here's how Mr. Card, uh, here's how Mr. Andy Card recalls that moment. Before the president walked into that classroom of second graders uh, at the Emma E. Booker School in Sarasota, Florida, he had been told, and I was standing right beside him when he was told this, it appears a small twin-engine prop plane crashed into one of the towers at the World Trade Center in New York City. That's what I knew he knew when he walked into the classroom. Uh, after he walked into the classroom and I was still left in the holding room, the door shut and the director of the White House Situation Room, a Navy captain at the time, Deb Lauer, came up to me and said, Sir, it, was, it appears it was not a small twin-engine prop plane, it was a commercial jetliner. And then a nanosecond later she came up and told me, Oh my gosh, another plane hit the other tower at the World Trade Center. That's when I contemplated my responsibilities as chief of staff. And the test was, does the president need to know? The answer is yes, no obvious yes. I made a decision to pass on two facts, make one editorial comment. I thought about what I would say. I knew that I couldn't expect the president to have a dialogue with me because he was sitting in front of a press pool in front of these second graders. And I did think about the words that I would use. I'm not sure that I knew enough to think to use 11 words. It just so it turns out it was 11 words. I opened the door of the classroom, went in, and when it was appropriate, when the president was not participating in a dialogue with those young students, I walked up to him and leaned over and said, a second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. I then stood back from him so he couldn't ask a question. I knew that what I delivered as a message was a very unusual message. It was going to be a historic message for him to receive. I knew that he was in a venue where he really probably couldn't ask questions the way he wanted to. But I also had every expectation that he recognized what his job was as president. And I think that's the day he really recognized the great burden of being president. After those terrifying 11 words sitting in that chair in front of those second graders, the president of the United States, uh, essentially after that, he made this announcement at Emma, at, at that elementary school, at Emma E. Booker Elementary School. Here's what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a difficult moment for America. I um, unfortunately will be going back to Washington after my remarks. Secretary Rod Page and Lieutenant Governor <clears throat> will take the podium and discuss education. 
I do want to thank the folks here at, uh, at the Booker Elementary School for their hospitality. Uh, today we've had a national tragedy. Uh, two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. I have spoken to the Vice President, to the Governor of New York, to the Director of the FBI, and I've ordered that the full resources of the federal government uh, go to help the victims and their families and, the, and to conduct a full-scale investigation to hunt down and to find those folks who committed this act. Terrorism against our nation will not stand. And now if you join me in a moment of silence. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Thank you very much. That day would become that day that day in American history would become known as 9/11 and it was an American tragedy and at that moment in American history with the nation that had just been attacked and still simultaneously grieving from a horrifying event that we had literally just witnessed before our eyes both parties decided to put aside politics and they came together to vote for a new department called the Department of Homeland Security and so on November 25th, 2002, just a year after the 9-11 attacks transpired, the Department of Homeland Security became an official cabinet-level agency, and thenceforth President George W. Bush nominated Thomas Ridge as the first Secretary of Homeland Security. And you know, no one could have imagined, no one could have imagined an authoritarian and sort of dictatorial president like this. Who would have thought that a department that was created after the 9-11 horrifying and pernicious terrorist attacks would be used against the people of this country that it was designed to protect? Barbara Boxer was a member of the United States Senate when 9-11 transpired. She writes in an op-ed at the Washington Post, quote, I never imagined, I never imagined a president like Trump when I voted to create the Department of Homeland Security. The piece continues, quote, Throughout my career, I was known for taking some very lonely votes, but I, made it, but I made a mistake in 2002 when I voted to create the Department of Homeland Security, which had been, which had been recommended by a number of members of Congress in the wake of the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001, the year before. Looking back in the congressional record, I can hear the doubts in my voice. And then essentially she talks about how she should not have voted for it. Continues, quote, The memory of 9-11 haunted me. The hijacked, airplanes were the hijacked airplanes were headed to California, which I represented, and I lost constituents in the, in the attack. The World Trade Center collapsed in the city where I was born. That was enough to get my yes vote. Here's where I went wrong. I quote, I never imagined that a president would use unconfirmed puppets like acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf and the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security to terrorize our own citizens in our own country. Our goal then had been to protect our own people, not hurt them, not harm them, not hunt them down on the streets of Portland or any other city. There was no protection built into this bill to stop a power-hungry president from misusing a powerful federal police force hidden in 
disparate agencies controlled by one agency head. The thought never occurred to me. I also never imagined a president appointing a lobbyist who was not even confirmed by the United States Senate to head such a department. I never imagined a president cruel enough to initiate a child separation policy and put helpless children behind wire behind wire while their crying parents had no power to fight for their children. Trump, by contrast, has little regard for the letter of law or executive restraint. He yoles about laws, law and order while, com- while commuting the sentences of men like Roger Stone, who lie and cheat and protect Trump's transgressions. His opponents, excuse me, his appointments for Homeland Security behave the same way. The president, the people protesting Polish brutality of African-Americans are overwhelmingly peaceful. But even if they got out of hand, local law enforcement agencies have the capacity to deal with it. If any governor needs help from the federal government, he or she can ask. But no federal agency should be roaming the streets of America in unmarked vehicles and unmarked uniforms, arresting people exercising their constitutional right to free speech. That's called kidnapping. And it's what dictators do. The piece concludes, quote, I voted for the final and imperfect vulnerable product, and I made my mistake. I never thought the Department of Homeland Security would be used against our own people. I never envisioned a dictatorial president, a tyrannical president, a desperate president. I was myopic. When we write laws, we must think harder about how they must be misused. I can't get my vote back, but Congress can act to both condemn this gross tyranny and then restructure the department so that no president, now or ever again, can have a private police force and menace the the people he or she swears to protect. Once again, former United States Senator Barbara Boxer essentially writing an op-ed in the Washington Post about this authoritarian style activity that we have seen in the streets of Portland, Oregon. There have obviously been some questions and also some concerns about what we are seeing there. Um, in, in twenty-nine, excuse me, in twenty seventeen, when Donald Trump uh, ran, excuse me, when Donald Trump was sworn in as president of the United States, Timothy Snyder published a book. His book is called On Tyranny. 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. Chapter 6 of his pocketbook. It is a really great book. Uh, You can pick it up on Amazon for about $5 and plus tax. Um, You can pick this book up on Amazon. And on chapter 6, I think chapter 6 is a really, I think chapter 6 is really relevant to what we have witnessed in Portland and what is also still transpiring um, while I'm speaking. Chapter 6, quote, be aware of paramilitaries. Quote, When the men with guns who have always claimed to be against the system start wearing uniforms and marching with torches and pictures of a leader, the end is nigh. When the the pro-leader, paramilitary, and the official police and military intermingle, the end has come. End quote. Once again, Timothy Snyder writing in his book On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century, essentially what we should be watching out for under this presidency and sort of an authoritarian and tyrannical presidency like this. I, I remember writing and I remember writing an essay on tyranny 
just just before the pandemic hit. I remember writing that essay back in earlier this year in January. And, you know, essentially, I never thought that I would even have to compare that essay to right now. But yes, I mean, what we are living in right now is a tyrannical style leadership. We are witnessing this in American history. This is what will be written down in the history books. This tyrannical and authoritarian and also just just it's essentially wannabe dictatorial leadership that we are witnessing from the federal government right now. Or should I say more in particular, the president of the United States. And so that is what we right now are witnessing as American citizens. I mean, if you want to take a historical sort of contextual example here, Two years before George Washington was sworn in as president of the United States, he knew that tyranny was inevitable. So he he wanted to protect the American citizens against it because we all know that tyranny is the cruel and oppressive rule of government. Tyranny gives too much power to one person. And so essentially the Constitution of the United States guards against tyranny by having federalism, checks and balances, separation of powers, and equitable rep- an equitable representation of all Americans. And, and just equitable representation of all three of those branches. And that no branch is more powerful than the other. The executive branch cannot be more powerful than the legislative branch or the judicial branch. And that is why we have three branches and they are all equal. No branch can override the other branch and say that they are more powerful. That is why we are a democratic republic and that is what stands. And so in this moment in American history, as we continue to look on this moment in American history, it is essential that we, the American people, step up to this moment and really look at what's going on here, really analyze this situation and make sure that we are all in, we are all paying attention to what is transpiring here. And to not only and, and to, to not only get your to not only educate yourselves by just watching the news and absorbing that information from political talking points and from political hosts and also from news media hosts, but by doing your own research as a citizen and by by educating yourself on what is transpiring here. For instance, Steve Vladek at LawfareBlog.com wrote, he just wrote a remarkable piece and essentially he asked five remarkably important questions about the situation that transpired in Portland, Oregon. Question one, quote, which agencies officers are being utilized for federal law enforcement purposes in Portland and under which statutory authorities? Question two, which federal laws are being enforced? Question three, what authority do these federal officers have to detain and arrest? arrest individuals. Question number four, how come none of these federal officers have to identify themselves? Question five, is the Department of Homeland Security in charge? If so, why? And lastly, question number six, how will we learn the answer to any of these questions? I will just say that this is a remarkable piece. It was written by Steve Vladek at lawfareblog.com. Sorry for that noise that you heard there by the mic. But I, I will make sure to leave this website, uh, I'll, excuse me, I'll make sure to leave the link, the link to this piece on our website so you can check that out after the show concludes. So you can check that out and go read that piece for yourself for better comprehension. It is well written and is also meticulously researched. 
But what, and more importantly, and also as far as just looking at this from a per, looking at this from from for for sort of perspective, we have seen criticism here. We have seen President Trump receive lots of criticism for his decision to deploy these federal agents into Portland, Oregon. Even from Tom Ridge himself, the former and first Secretary of Homeland Security. Isa Chotner writes at the New Yorker, quote, This month, President Donald Trump deployed law enforcement agents from the Department of Homeland Security to Portland, Oregon, ostensibly to protect federal property from protests that began after the killing of George Floyd. But these DHS agents who wear military-style camouflage have not identified themselves as law enforcement and have arrested and detained protesters with probable cause inflaming protests in Portland and other cities, with many Americans furious that the administration has sent federal law enforcement officers to fulfill policing functions that are not part of Washington's governing mandate. On Tuesday, in a tense hearing before the House Judiciary Committee, Attorney General William Barr defended the deployments, arguing that, the, quote, that violent rioters and anarchists have hijacked legitimate protests to wreak, to wreak senseless havoc and have destruction, end quote. The following day, Oregon's governor announced that an agreement had been reached with DHS to withdraw the deployed personnel from Portland. The department responded by saying the agreement was conditional on the safety of federal property within the city. End quote. Now that those federal agents have been now that now that those federal agents have departed from Portland, Oregon, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, according to reporting from the Wall Street Journal. We do now know that now that those federal agents have left Portland, finally, the protests have now turned largely peaceful. On, on July 29th, it was announced that even though those federal agents were departing from Portland, they weren't done. USA Today's headline on that day was, quote, Federal agents head to Detroit, Cleveland, Milwaukee as Operation Legend expands, end quote. Now that these events have transpired, many mayors are skeptical and are reluctant to believe that the president is really doing this for a, quote, good reason. They see this as him exercising his political agenda for this election year. Yesterday, the Deputy Home Secretary of Homeland Security testified to Congress, and he announced that DHS is changing the uniforms of the federal agents used in Portland. So they won't be in camouflage anymore, just in case that bothers any of you. Hmm. Uh, but I, I want to play now a clip from the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, essentially saying, don't you dare send federal agents into our city. Since we, the president and his uh, team, started to rattle the saber that they were going to do exactly the same thing in Chicago that they'd done in Portland, I've been very clear not happening in Chicago. We don't need federal troops. We don't need unnamed secret federal agents roaming around the streets of Chicago, taking off our residents without cause and violating their basic constitutional rights. I'm glad to see that the president got the message. I'm glad to see that he realized what he did in Portland was a grave uh, abuse of his presidential power. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to try it here in Chicago. 
and we have to remain diligent. And I'm calling on all Chicagoans that if you see something that doesn't look right, please don't hesitate to report it. Call 911. Call 311. We are going to remain diligent. And if we see any steps out of line, particularly with DHS or Border Patrol, we are not going to hesitate to take the president to court and stop any unconstitutional actions. Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago has vehemently condemned the notion of sending federal agents into Chicago, but nonetheless, it has happened. And Mick Dumkey, a ProPublica investigative reporter, wrote an excellent piece on it on this situation last Friday. And he's going to join me next. Stay with us. In this world where people are staying at home, many of life's moments are being put on hold. At Carvana, we understand that for some, getting a car just can't wait. That's why the new way to buy and sell a car is also the safer way. At Carvana, you can do it all 100% online from home with a touchless delivery and pickup process to keep you safe. And for even greater peace of mind, all Carvana cars come with a seven-day return policy. So if you need to keep moving, it's our goal to keep you safe. Check out Carvana, the safer way to buy a car. In 1992, the Attorney General of the United States was Bill Barr, and he said, quote, Our message to gangs, gang leaders, and gang members is this. When we throw the federal book at you, it will be a knockout blow, end quote. ProPublica's McDumkey writes, quote, some, some of the details were different, of course. In 1992, Barr said that the FBI was shifting about 300 agents from monitoring spies from recently collapsed Soviet Union to take on gangs and violent crimes in American cities. 18 of the agents would be redeployed to Chicago. End quote. In the wake of the killing of George Floyd, we have seen protests all over the nation speaking out against police violence and racial injustice and also racial inequality. As weeks went by, as weeks went by and more 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 news stories started to surface, our attention was diverted from those ongoing protests to other news stories. But then something on happened. We started seeing videos of unidentified federal agents in the streets of Portland, Oregon, essentially kidnapping people. We did not we we do know that these we do know that these actions are unconstitutional and under Oregon law, yes, a federal agent can arrest someone if they deliberately commit a crime in the presence of that agent. However, we have learned that the majority of these protests in Portland, Oregon have been peaceful, and now that these federal agents have departed from Portland, the protests have returned to being peaceful. But unfortunately, the federal agents aren't done. On July 29th, USA Today reported that the president would send more federal agents to other American cities. Many more, many, excuse me, many mayors became skeptical of the president, who was essentially saying that this is a good thing and that there is no reason for opposition here. What we saw in Portland, Oregon with, with, what we saw in Portland, Oregon with the federal agents from the Department of Homeland Security and who knows elsewhere from, we, we, what we saw there was this authoritarian activity and the president sending those agents into that city against the will of its leaders and the governor of that state. Now it appears that the situation has intensified elsewhere. Time Magazine writes, quote, As gun violence continues to plague Chicago, President Donald Trump has announced that federal agents will be deployed to the city to help drive down violent crime. But while some community leaders say they welcome any attempts to... To make their city safer, other activists are worried that the presence of federal law enforcement will only bring more chaos during a city, excuse me, during a time of great stresses, end quote. For historical context, McDemke from ProPublica writes, quote, In 1992, the city banned loitering, excuse me, loitering, I believe, 
by people deemed to be gang members until the measure was ruled unconstitutional. Former Mayor Richard M. Daley uh, led an effort to sue gun manufacturers for creating a pub public nuisance in Chicago and other cities. The case was tossed out of court. Speed bumps and cul-de-sacs were built on dozens of side streets to thwart drive-by shootings. Though, as police and paramedics discovered, such obstacles also made it harder for them to respond to emergencies. Far more common have been announcements that more police will be deployed in high-crime areas, often under the banner of new task force program or initiative. That's where the feds often come in, literally, end quote. The president has threatened to send federal agents into Chicago uh, he, as, as soon as he became president in 2017, calling Chicago, quote, a war zone and saying, quote, I will send in the feds. When the president made those astonishing and threatening announcements, the mayor of Chicago at the time, Rahm Emanuel, vehemently condemned the president, but he did welcome additional resources to combat gun crimes. Since then, Chicagoans have elected a new mayor. Her name is Lori Lightfoot, and she has, too, condemned the president on this matter. She has also publicly called him out for his overtly racist remarks and disrespect for the civil rights movement. On July 20th, the president said he was, once again, ready to send in those federal agents. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot said, don't you dare, but he and Attorney General William Barr have sent them in anyway. Nevertheless, the Black Lives Matter movement in Chicago and 10 other organizations have sued the Attorney General and the other administrations and other administration officials for this deployment. Joining me now is Mick Demke, a ProPublica investigative reporter and the author of this excellent piece. Mick, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me again, Jeremiah. It's good to talk with you. Thank you. Well, I want to ask if there was anything that I misinterpreted from your reporting. I don't think so. I, I would just say there's a lot going on here. Um, the, the long and the short of it, I believe, is, uh, you know, and, and we like to say, uh, you know, what's the what's the lead of the story? So uh, mm -hmm. don't bury the lead. So I would say that the lead of, of this particular story is that um, so much of what you described has happened before. And specifically in Chicago, you talked a little bit about what's going on in Portland and other places with protests. We've certainly had that here. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, the, the particular issue that uh, the president has responded to in Chicago and uh, the attorney general have responded to in Chicago is gun violence, which has been a problem here for decades. And every so often it seems to be waning and then we go through periods where it's just horrifically bad all over again. Not, not that it, not that any amount of violence is acceptable, but there mm -hmm. are just periods where it's just, uh, it's just staggering what's happening. Um, and, uh, that's, what's been going on here for the last uh, couple of months. And so the president and the attorney general have, uh, you know, since Trump came into office, as you mentioned, that uh, mm -hmm. he has used, the problem with gun violence in Chicago, um, he's responded to it uh, in a politicized way. It, it appears to be a president who uh, is playing to his base, uh, who is, um, you know, going after a, uh, a city that uh, a majority of residents here are non-white. Um, that's well known. We currently have a mayor who is an African-American uh, lesbian woman. Uh, and it, all these things play right into Trump's hands when he is going after Chicago and trying to rally his base 
especially as we head into an election. So, mm-hmm. like I said, there's layers of things going on, but the real issue is we've got a problem with gun violence here, and officials from the president on down uh, just have the same response over and over again, which is to send in more agents, send in more cops. And uh, many people are uh, weary of that, uh, not least of the main reason being because it just doesn't seem to work, because this problem keeps going on and on and on, decade after decade, year after year, and people want to see something new. So uh, that's really, I think, what the, what the piece is about. And all mm-hmm. the politics you mentioned uh, just make it uh, a particularly striking moment. Now, as you mentioned, Chicago is known for its deadly violence. Um, is there a possibility that the president believes that sending in these federal agents could in- improve the situation there? Sure, sure. I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm. Many people are not going to trust him at all, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying I trust him particularly either. <laughs> but uh, he's not the only person who believes that maybe having uh, more FBI, more ATF agents, more DEA agents, people uh, working on actual investigations of gun crimes, of criminal enterprises, uh, that, that, that having the, those extra resources could make a difference. There's a lot of people who believe that, um, including, I think, the mayor of Chicago, who uh, made it clear she didn't want anything resembling what was going on in Portland, of course, but also said, look, if you're going to send us agents to actually do investigations and, you know, do actual police work uh, to try to bring cases into federal court to to genuinely try to, uh, you know, bolster our law enforcement efforts to bring down uh, gun violence here, then we welcome that. And, you know, her predecessors have said that. Uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel before that uh, also said the same thing and welcomed at at different points, welcomed additional federal agents. Uh, Richard M. Daly before Rahm uh, did the same thing. So this is a pattern we've seen over and over again. Your question is is right on. Uh, It's a good one. It's a fair question. So, yes, there is a possibility the president believes that. There's a possibility others believe that. And. I'm not saying that the agents or the law enforcement officials here aren't working hard to try to deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger issue, though, Jeremiah, is um, that, uh, again, that the question really is, are we going to solve this problem or the set of problems that leads to gun violence simply through law enforcement? Because that appears to be uh, the main response uh, from elected officials, both locally and certainly at the White House in this politicized environment. So people are just calling for for some new strategies. Hmm. Um, I, I want to talk now about Operation Legend, which apparently is this new thing that has started under the Trump administration. I was wondering if you could describe that essentially. What What is Operation Legend's goal? Well, Operation Legend is, uh, first of all, it's named after a child who uh, was apparently shot and killed in Kansas City, Missouri, while Mm. sleeping. Uh, Just a horrific story, and unfortunately not um, an unfamiliar one here. There have been several instances in Chicago over the last uh, few years where, uh, you know, a stray bullet has actually struck someone, including a child who was doing you know, guilty of nothing other than uh, being inside uh, with his or her family or in a couple of cases sleeping. So first of all, that's what the 
why it's called Operation Legend. There's a young a young man, uh, a boy who um, named Legend, I believe, in Kansas City, who was a victim of gun violence. Hmm. What they've said is that this is an effort from the federal government to send in additional uh, in additional law enforcement. That these are uh, investigators. These are not, um, according to what they're saying. These are, are not the kind of paramilitary um, agents, paramilitary kind of presence that we saw in Portland uh, with, you know, people in uh, uniforms that didn't even identify them as uh, federal agents and officers, uh, basically grabbing protesters off the street and that kind of thing. They, what they've described for Operation Legend is something quite different, which is, uh, they're a mobilization of agents to um, a handful of cities that have had uh, spikes in gun violence over, especially over the last few months. So I believe it started with Kansas City and then Chicago uh, was next on the list. Most recently, they've mentioned Milwaukee and a couple other places. So there's uh, maybe half a dozen at most, but, but a number of cities where they've said that they're going to step up this law enforcement presence. Is it clear on when the on is it clear on when these federal agents will leave Chicago? I've been told that they are expected to be here through the summer, um, perhaps into early fall. But uh, the key point is that they are not permanent. Uh, these are not permanent deployments; mm-hmm. that they are temporary. These are agents who will, at some point in time, uh, go back to duties they had previously or will be assigned or deployed to other areas where they're deemed to be needed. Um, so I think that uh, that's a real issue because even some law enforcement officials I've spoken with who welcome this kind of thing, who welcome the additional resources, say, you know, it needs to be sustained. It needs to be carefully thought out. Mm-hmm. You can't just throw extra bodies into a place, especially if they're not from here. They don't know the terrain. Uh, they don't know, in, in, for instance, in Chicago, they don't know uh, the neighborhoods. They don't know, uh, you know, a lot of details about gang activity and that kind of thing. So if that's what they're supposed to be working on and they're not really experts in it, um, you need to, to be using them in a manner that is uh, going to be effective and not going to be harmful to the communities uh, that are that are battered by violence in the first place. So these, these law enforcement people who welcome these resources, uh, Jeremiah, they're saying this really needs to be sustained. And so what does sustained mean? Well, does that mean a few weeks? Does it mean a couple of months? Does it mean like a year or two? Um, certainly there are people here who don't want any additional law enforcement presence at all. And so they will welcome the news that if they're stuck with, with this so-called surge, that it will only be temporary. But then you have people on the other side who say, if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. And it needs to be, you know, a more sustained presence. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is is the mayor taking any litigation? Is the mayor taking any litigation efforts right now to sort of stop this from ha- stop this from continuing? No, uh, Mayor Lightfoot herself is a former uh, federal prosecutor, so she uh, knows people in the U.S. Attorney's Office here. The U.S. Attorney's Office is uh, uh, coordinating Operation Legend in Chicago. Uh, we're told. And so reportedly, Mayor Lightfoot has had conversations with, uh, you know, some of her contacts in the U.S. Attorney's Office and has been reassured that, no, this is not going to be a Portland-style 
anti-protest operation. This is, uh, you know, a more traditional law enforcement uh, effort where the agents are going to work closely with federal prosecutors and they're going to actually work closely with local police officers as well. And it's going to be this thoughtful plan. So she has mm-hmm. said, if that's the case, then yeah, we can, we can use the help. If you're trying to do something else, um, if you're trying to, if this is just, you know, a political stunt, I think she said, we don't want any games being played. That mm-hmm. was like something she actually wrote in a letter to, to president Trump. So no games, no political stunts and, and no Portland style interventions, she said. And, yeah. and to your point, She's threatened to uh, to bring litigation to go to court if anything, uh, if this turns out to be some sort of anti-protest uh, kind of operation. She said she will fight that tooth and nail. Um, is there a possibility that the president is doing this for political gain? Uh, just essentially being that this is an election year. Oh yeah, I think that's widely how it's seen here. I think it's a distinct possibility. I mean, anyone who's watched the president over the last. Uh, three and a half years um, would say that uh, you know much of what he says and much of what he does as well uh, seems to be targeted at what he considers his base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I I'd be hard pressed to actually define what uh, Donald Trump's personal uh, or political belief system is, uh, but that's another conversation for another time. I think right now it's impossible. Uh, to look at these measures, and uh, even if you think that this is an appropriate and needed action to try to stem gun violence in Chicago, it's impossible to look at just the tone of the announcements, the tone of of Trump's tweets, um, and say that this is not political. It's it's mm-hmm. very political. And like I said earlier, I think it's you know it's uh, playing to his base in a sense. Chicago has become in. In the racially, in the in the not so uh, the not so coded uh, racial language of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Chicago is a majority uh, non-white city led by Democrats. In this case, a Democrat who happens to be an African American woman, and I think that that is a uh, Trump sees that as sort of a convenient uh, target for him politically. Are, are there any updates on the lawsuits that have been filed against the attorney general and other officials in the Trump administration? You know, it was just filed um, about a week and a half ago, maybe not not even two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're referring to the lawsuit by the uh, Black Lives Matter of Chicago and, and other groups here, right? Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yeah. So I think it was just filed. I'm not aware of any... Um, activity in the case. Usually these things uh, take a little while. I mean, what they actually asked for was they um, asked for a uh, uh, the judge to issue an injunction protecting their rights to protest. And hmm. um, I have not seen or heard the judge respond to that with any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of ruling. Um, and so far, knock on wood, uh, I have also not heard any word that uh, protest activity has been restricted by federal agents here. Mm. Um, you know, there continue to be demonstrations uh, in Chicago, as in many other cities, uh, if not daily, then, then on a very regular basis, and that hasn't stopped. So to answer your question, I don't think that the lawsuit has um, much has happened in it since it was filed. 
Uh, as far as as far as the federal agents being there in Chicago, um, I do know that Chicago, I, I do know that the agents are there to sort of combat gun violence. But is there any clarification on what exactly the agents will be doing and what and wh- where the agents will be sort of where the agents will reside um, during, excuse me, where where the agents will reside during during their time in Chicago? No, I have not. I haven't. I have not heard anything about that. Um, although I will say that uh, that's something that usually would not be announced publicly. Um, mm. You know. There's obviously a federal presence in Chicago and in most other cities anyway. I mean, there's an FBI office, there's a major DEA office, there's there are ATF agents here, um, U.S. Marshals. This is a big federal courthouse, so the U.S. Attorney's Office is one of the uh, probably one of the better staffed uh, U.S. Attorney's offices in the country. So mm-hmm. um, the fact that there are federal agents working on these kind of issues is is not new. And I think that's important to stress. I mean, there are, you know, the FBI um, and the DEA and the ATF bring uh, gun and and drug cases on a regular basis. That's what they do. Um, and most of the time, uh, those of us who are just going about our daily lives, we don't see them or they're not they're not visible. Um, they're not even visible in the same way that police officers are of course because you know we see police officers in marked cars wearing uniforms and that kind of thing um and you you learn to spot maybe some police officers who are in unmarked vehicles or you know wearing plain clothes but my point is that federal agents do this kind of work all the time and they usually do it uh try to do it quietly and so um i think that's probably their goal is that they hope that they're going to be effective at this uh without uh, stirring up a lot of attention. All right. Once again, my guest is Mick Demke. He is a ProPublica investigative reporter. Uh, Congratulations on your piece, and thank you so much for coming on the show to really explain it. Nice chatting with you, Jeremiah. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. A big thanks to Mick Dumkey, a ProPublica investigative reporter. Sorry for the thunder outside. It's raining out here. Uh, but thank you again for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Join me this Saturday on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. There's a lot that's happened that I did not cover on this episode. There was a lot that has happened this week, and I'm going to have some excellent guests on that show. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you then.